Well, hello, and uh, welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, live from Maui, Hawaii, on this first Sunday in May. Today is May 3rd, 2009, and whether you're listening live or listening to the replay from some future date, I'm very happy that you're with us today. And Our theme is Meditative Hypnosis. Our topic today in the Mystery School class is both of these concepts, meditation and hypnosis or self-hypnosis, since truly all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. That might be a good place to begin. And uh, we will be uh, taking your questions and reading your comments a little bit later in the program whether they're about this specific topic today, uh, meditation and hypnosis, or what I call in a combined sense with a hyphen in the middle, meditative hypnosis, or if you want to ask me about or make a comment about anything else, something in the news, for example, or some sort of ethical or spiritual dilemma <clears throat> Excuse me, that you may uh, find yourself in. And, and uh, want to talk about. I'd like this uh, program to be increasingly interactive, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and although the vast majority of people that listen are listening to the replay and not listening live, those of you who are with us live every Sunday or any Sunday are able to make that happen just by using that little box at the bottom of the web page. So I hope you'll do that and hope you'll forward these programs to your friends as well with the send one to a friend gadget. Meditative hypnosis is a term that I coined. I don't take much credit for it. I mean, there are many, many teachers of both meditation and hypnosis who have acknowledged over the years that these altered states, this closed-eye process, whatever you call it, um, has much more, uh, these two fields, I'll put it this way, meditation and hypnosis, have much more in common than, than a difference. There are differences, some important distinctions that we'll talk about today between the nature of meditation and hypnosis, but, you know, i got to emphasize here at the top of the class that essentially we're talking about this same place in your mind, in a so-called altered state of awareness or consciousness that is expanded, where we've turned away from physical sense and sensation, the, the input that we get from the physical world via our eyes and our ears and our ability to feel and smell and taste as well. In fact, the so-called sixth sense really is promoted to a very significant degree in these so-called altered states. It's a great place to go to be more intuitive. Recently, the law of attraction as a term for manifestation or Traditionally, what's been called magic, not stage magic or illusion, but real occult manifestation, 
as in Christ saying, these things I do, you can do and more, healing and and solving problems and what have you. Um, I'd like to round all of that up today and see if in a, in a very inclusive but elementary way we can introduce meditators to the idea of hypnosis and vice versa. So I'm looking forward to this and uh, want to thank you for being with us. Uh, today. Now, personally, I've always been interested in the altered state, whether it was called meditation, contemplation, introspection, or hypnosis. Uh, As a young person, I remember first hearing about biofeedback, and this also was a relaxation technology where machinery, some sort of electronic uh, instrument, usually electronic, was used to measure one of the body's responses, and there are many, to levels of stress and tension. For example, how stressed or, or how relaxed we are really can be read in terms of blood pressure or uh, pulse, uh, respiration rates. Uh, the volume of blood in a capillary in the in an extremity like the tip of your finger or or your toes or the the end of your nose uh, the volume of the blood in the extremity, the temperature of the extremity uh, there 's all manner in fact that 's what a lie detector is right if you think of it a so called polygraph graphing many poly meaning many graphs. Uh, graphing all of these physiological responses to the uh, stress and relaxation uh, continuum, I'll put it that way. The scale of of tension and relaxation can be seen manifesting in a half a dozen or more different areas. And that's all a lie detector does, is measure your level of tension or relaxation in, in a relative way. It's another topic for another show. I think really very curious that lying is stressful. We talk about uh, people who have no conscience, um, the so-called sociopath or psychopath, and it also spills over into the narcissist and a few others, people who seem to be devoid of uh, right or wrong. Well, even that's a matter of degree. It's true that severely sociopathic or psychopathic people uh, appear to have no conscience and could defeat a lie detector. They can lie without it being indicated um, by these physiological responses because they just don't even know that it's a lie. But that's an extremely rare exception. The 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 truth of the matter is that the vast majority, 99% plus of people, respond to lies with stress and anxiety in their body. Lying will make you sick, uh, even if you don't believe in karma or that you reap what you sow in very intricate, complex ways. Uh, you have to take a look at the fact that illness is, uh, referred to as dis-ease for a reason. Why is it called dis-ease? 
because stress and anxiety suppresses the body's immune system and uh, allows you to uh, fall ill, to become sick. Uh, and I would say also injury, even you're more injury prone when you're stressed. And so lying is stressful. Uh, I think that's curious, but a bit of a tangent. I don't want to go too far down that road. I just, you can write that on a post-it note, stick it on the wall, and we'll revisit that concept later. Or maybe you can revisit that concept later. What are the consequences or implications of lying being stressful when there's so many people in the society that rely upon lying? Uh, starting at the top of government and industry, uh, we seem to be led by liars and, uh, I don't know, even admire um, a skillful liar. And yet it's stressful to the liar and it's uh, stressful to virtually everyone uh, when we don't tell the truth. So there are a, a number of physical, physiological reactions that correspond to how tense or how relaxed we are. And the extremes of the two would be, on one end, deeply relaxed, most deeply relaxed, is sleep, or a coma, I suppose, where you're totally unconscious, and the brain waves are very, very slow. This is the delta, and if you're dreaming, theta range. These are the terms that brain scientists have given to these very, very low-frequency brain waves. One cycle to four cycles is the delta brain wave level. That's deep, non-dream sleep. And then theta is roughly uh, four to seven cycles per second. And that's also uh, usually a sleep state. It usually corresponds to uh, vivid imagery, mental imagery, dreaming. Um, and if you're there, uh, it is possible to get into the theta level, the slightly higher brainwave level, slightly more stimulated, with awareness. You can be in theta with awareness when you really are so-called twilight sleep. You're half awake and half asleep. You're, you're, you wake up in the morning and then you allow yourself to drift back to sleep. And sometimes you have... A, whole extended dream and then you wake up and look at the clock and only two minutes went by and yet it was such a vivid dream. This is really the theta state. But together, the delta and theta are generally thought of as sleep and that's at one end of the spectrum. That's where we are physically or physiologically the most relaxed. This is when our muscles carry the least tension where the capillaries and the blood veins and arteries are most dilated and the blood pressure is normalized as a result. This is when we have peak performance, peak health, we're smartest, our, our memory works best, and yet you say, well, wait a minute, but we're unconscious. How smart can I be if I'm sound asleep? Well, the idea is to get real close, and that's sort of where we're headed today in our our topic around meditative hypnosis. The other end of the extreme, the highest of brain waves, are in the upper 30s. And uh, these are so-called beta brain waves. 
beta is a brainwave level that runs between roughly 13 or 14 cycles per second, all the way up to the high 30s, up to actually 40 uh, is usually described as the upper threshold for manic or high-stress um, uh, brainwaves. When you're carrying in it a lot of muscular tension, uh, this would this would correspond to a nervous breakdown, so-called, uh, a stress attack or an anxiety attack, um, panic, um, <laughs> generic terms from the 60s, a freakout. Uh, these are the highest of brain waves. And there are other corollaries. It's also where you feel most victimized and least responsible for your life, where you tend to project onto other people whatever it is that's going on for you and see it being done to you by them. And the more stressed we are, the more likely we are to see ourselves as victims. And uh, oddly and ironically, that creates even more stress. So it's easy to get trapped in a high-stress mentality. In fact, a lot of people like the feeling of being very stressed because it's very similar to excitement and enthusiasm. You know, even the word anxiety could be, oh boy, as easily as, oh no. So, a lot of people suffer from adrenal burnout. They, their, their, their adrenal glands are just pumping so much adrenaline. It feels like excitement to them. It feels like significance. And in fact, it's fear. It's just fear. The, the difference between fear and excitement is a very thin line. They're really not opposites. Or to whatever extent they're different, they, they reflect each other in a major way. Um, you would describe both physically in your body by describing uh, weak knees and girded loins and butterflies in the stomach and heart palpitations and a lump in the throat and uh, sweaty palms and dilated eyes. And Is that excitement? Yeah. Is that fear? Yeah. Well, what's the difference between oh boy and oh no? And it's really are you holding on or are you letting go? And uh, again, this could be a topic for another whole class. Turning excitement into, or turning fear into excitement, turning oh no into oh boy, is largely a matter of taking a breath and letting go and moving forward. If you're holding on or feel as if you're being held on to and held back, uh, that surely is going to turn any enthusiasm or excitement into fear and it'll debilitate you, it'll degrade your performance in all areas. Mentally, you'll be more confused. Emotionally, you'll be numb and insensitive. And in the long term, there's a real ache, oddly, uh, a pain or a severe discomfort that goes with being emotionally numb. I know that sounds contradictory, but nevertheless, it hurts not to feel. Um, and physically, of course, your performance is degraded by stress. This is found in sports psychology. we got 30 or 40 years of good research 
uh, stress management in sports, um, and even spiritually, or maybe we should say especially spiritually, we're much more likely to feel disconnected, uh, cut off, and alienated uh, from our source or from all other things in life as we become increasingly stressed. These are the high-frequency beta brain waves. So when you sleep, you're down here in the one to four cycle per second area in terms of brain waves. During that sleep process, you might go into theta a little bit higher, four to seven cycles per second for three or four, maybe five minutes, and then you drop back down into delta and... uh, You're in delta, again, the one to four cycle for maybe an hour and a half or so, and then come up into theta, four to seven cycles for another four or five minutes of dreaming, and then drop back down into delta. That's the sleep and dream cycle. And when we wake up, we very quickly find ourselves in the upper teens and lower 20s in terms of brainwave frequency. And as we become more stimulated, by our environment, more external stimulation, the phone starts ringing, also internal stimulation. You start thinking about what a busy day this is going to have to be and all that you need to get done. And, oh, look, here's all this work from yesterday that you didn't finish. And all of that external stimulus and the internal stimulus begins to drive the brain waves higher and higher and higher into this high-stress place that, again, as I said, can at times feel very exciting, but we tend to hold on. That's a natural reaction to fear and anxiety is, you know, somebody somebody sneaks up behind you and goes, boo, you don't relax, you tighten, right? That's what fear and anxiety does is cause you to hold on. And it's just so strange that while we're holding on, we feel like the symptoms of that are holding on to us. And uh, so this is where education and, and understanding brain waves and levels of consciousness can help you so much. Well, you know me, anytime I talk about this or that, I'm going to take a look at the place in the middle. The uh, core philosophy or one of the core philosophies of uh, Eastern philosophy is the so-called middle way. Um, the idea that there are variations and combinations and permutations, and we have that same thing here. There is a middle between sleep and dreams on one end, the slow brain waves, and overstimulated, stressed, anxious, nervous, and fearful on the high end of the scale. And that middle is a rather narrow channel called alpha, the alpha brainwave level and this is roughly 8 to 12 cycles per second. A good way to think of it is alpha is a brainwave of 10 cycles per second plus or minus a few cycles and yet if you don't have a biofeedback machine and a rather expensive and sophisticated one how are you going to get some sort of readout some graph or meter or needle or light uh, to tell you, bing, here you are. Now just keep doing whatever you're doing and stay stay right there in the middle. Well, there's a feeling that's associated 
with this alpha brainwave level. And it's important to discuss because this is the primary link between meditation in all of its various forms and hypnosis or self-hypnosis. Um, the best hypnosis is not really a deep trance-like state, although it may appear to be to the casual observer or to somebody who is uh, in an audience watching stage hypnotism. It may look like a trance, but in fact, the subject that's been hypnotized, so to speak, is actually with their eyes closed and their attention focused inward, more alert and more aware than they would be if their eyes were open and they were distracted, so to speak, by the physical world around them, right? So that's our that's our common link between all forms of meditation and the so-called hypnotic trance, which is really not a trance, uh, is this alpha brainwave level. A good argument could be made for trance being the result of high stress and anxiety that most people, as they go about their daily life and affairs, are in a trance. And if you're honest with yourself, uh, you'll admit there are times that you, in, in in your, you know, waking life, where you suddenly become aware of just how unaware and robotic you've become. Um, driving in traffic, for example, it's not uncommon to, uh, I think everybody knows the experience of waking up, so to speak, and you're driving down the freeway at 70 miles an hour, and you're not even sure what freeway you're on. Or maybe you know what freeway you're on because you drive it every day. That's sort of the point. That's what creates the trance. And uh, you know what freeway you're on, but you don't know exactly where you are. Or maybe if you're on surface streets, you realize you've been spaced out for the last five minutes, and you must have gone through four intersections uh, uh, stopping at the red lights and going on the green and slowing down on the orange to make the decision, and yet you did it all unconsciously, pretty much OTL, right? <laughs> lights are on, but nobody's home. That's scary when you start living your life that way. Um, you have to ask yourself, uh, what are we missing for that distraction of physical sense and sensation? Certainly, as far back as 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, the ancient Greeks and Western civilization, and we see the same thing in Eastern philosophy, uh, were referring to the physical world and physical sense and sensation as a distraction. It was understood thousands of years ago, before there were even books, before most people could read and write. There were always those women and men who understood that what you see with your eyes and hear with your ears and <clears throat> even what you, even those things you can put your hands on and get a grip on are less true 
than the concepts or ideas behind them. This is core uh, Platonic philosophy, actually. Plato is uh, the Western philosopher who gets most of the credibility for this concept of ideation, that the truth of something is in the idea behind it. Well, how did we ever get to this place with computers and men on the moon and all the incredible technology that we have uh, without realizing that this is a drama, this is a stage play, this is not reality, that the truth of our lives is much deeper and is not going to be realized in normal consciousness. The, the deeper ideation or ideas or conceptualization, <clears throat> that's another nice way of talking about it, can only be realized, it seems, when we turn away from physical sense and sensation and move into what brain researchers about a 100 years ago, it really has been 103 years <laughs> since the discovery of these, <clears throat> excuse me, brain waves, particularly the alpha brain wave between awake and asleep. It's a little oversimplified to say it that way, um, because the whole field of brain waves is rather arcane and, and complex. But in the simplest sense, this is a good model that I'm giving you. Meditative hypnosis. Meditation in whatever form. Hypnosis, at its best, these are not trance states. The trance, again, I would argue, is being found in the overly stressed person that is completely overstimulated and preoccupied with the external world. Awareness, insight, realization, deep and profound understanding and meaning is best found in the altered state between awake and asleep. In other words, the idea is to calm yourself, to relax yourself, turning away from physical sensation, letting go of physical tension in the body, as if you were going to sleep, reducing brain waves to get as close as you can get to sleep without falling asleep. Because if you fall asleep, your will, your free will or will power, your intention and attention is lost, right? Uh, just as it's lost when you have high brain waves. But the idea is to get essentially as close to sleep as possible to find this balance point between awake and asleep <clears throat> called the alpha brain wave level and then use that for essentially one of two reasons. Now, there are scores, dozens and dozens of benefits and reasons, uh, motivators, motivations, why, why we would want to explore the alpha brainwave level. Okay, all kinds of benefits from going there. But let's start with simple bifurcation. There are two primary reasons to go there as implied by the term meditative hypnosis. One is to meditate, the other is to be hypnotized. 
or self-hypnosis. Again, I repeat, all hypnosis is essentially self-hypnosis. The so-called operator, the hypnotist or hypnotherapist is simply a guide or a facilitator. Uh, all suggestion is auto-suggestion. That's another way of saying all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. You have to agree, bottom line, in a hypnotic state, you have to agree with whatever suggestion is being offered to you by another person, by a uh, audio recording that you might be listening to, or something that you initiate yourself. Something you've got enough free will that you can guide yourself through it and provide your own affirmations or positive suggestions to yourself. And you do want to be positive in these levels of mind. So the two primary categories of reasons for going to the altered brainwave state of the alpha, 10 cycles per second, plus or minus, the two primary reasons for doing that is meditation and hypnosis. And in putting these together into a term called meditative hypnosis, what I'm suggesting, what I'm stating, I'll go beyond it, what, what I'm stating is that they're two forms of the same thing and essentially two different directions that correspond to the two minds, the conscious and the subconscious, and further, to the only two problems anybody could ever have. The only two problems that anybody could ever have is, I know what I want, my problem is getting it, or getting there, or making it happen, but I do know the goal. I do know what I want. I just don't know what to do about it. And then the only other kind of problem there could be would be, well, I don't know what I want. I don't have a target. I don't have a bullseye. There is no goal. Uh, I can't, I, how could I know what to do if I don't know what to do about what, you see? This is a very important concept in learning to think critically. Then, of course, here we go again. There's got to be a middle way or a third variation on that which would be, I sort of know what I want. <laughs> you know, I've got this vague idea of a goal or a solution, a desired outcome or a result, but it's not very clear or very specific. So I sort of don't know what I want, but I sort of do a little bit, and I'm somewhere betwixt and between. But nevertheless, the polarities are these two kinds of problems. I've got an outcome in mind. Right? but I'm not sure how to get there. And the other one is, gosh, even if I had a genie in the bottle and I conjure up the genie and he or she grants me three wishes, I still don't know what I want. And the first wish might be I wish I knew what I wanted. There's a table uh, for you, a story. The genie comes out of the bottle and your wish is my command, and your first wish is, well, I wish I knew what I wanted. <laughs> Somebody better write that story. So uh, meditative hypnosis is a reference to the fact that the alpha brainwave level is a two-way street for solving these two kinds of problems um, and for accessing the two 
aspects of mind, the conscious and subconscious, the willpower, meaning the conscious mind, and the imagination, or the subconscious mind. Now, the relationship of these two minds is also, um, a, well, how can I say it, aside from going back to two-way street, uh, it is both the function of the subconscious mind to listen to the conscious mind and do pretty much what the conscious mind instructs the imagination to do. That would be the hypnosis or the law of attraction part. But the conscious mind can all, or the willpower can always benefit from slowing down and being less willful, relaxing, and listening to what the subconscious or the imagination has to say in a creative and intuitive way. All right. So the subconscious, following its uh, natural tendency to be receptive to the conscious mind, that's we do that pretty much all the time. And whatever brainwave level or level of consciousness we're in, the subconscious mind is, or the imagination is receptive, and it, it it does what you tell it to do. If you say to yourself, I'm going to stand up from this chair, walk to the kitchen, and get a glass of water, the imagination has to be able to see or experience somehow, if not visually, kinesthetically, the experience of standing up, retaining your balance, walking toward the kitchen, drawing the cup of water, and so on and so forth. It's an instruction from the conscious mind to the subconscious, from the willpower to the imagination. And to do that in the altered state that is alpha is hypnotherapy, is hypnosis, is self-hypnosis, is the law of attraction. It's causative, right? the way we lead our whole life anyway, but to do this kind of willpower instructing the imagination on what to do, provided the imagination can imagine it, right? If you can't imagine it, then you can't do it. This is the problem with uh, cigarette smoking, for example, or weight control, is we have the willpower, we just can't imagine it. People even say, well, I just can't imagine being successful. Well, okay. Or when people say, well, I just don't think this or that, what they mean is they don't believe it or they can't imagine it. They say, I don't think, which may also be true, but very few people understand even the simple principle that the willpower can be easily blocked by the imagination. So, all of our activities throughout our daily life and affairs are a matter of the conscious mind instructing the imagination or subconscious what to do. And if the imagination has some experience, if you can even just visualize it or take a stab at it or a guess at it, usually it can get done. To do that at the alpha brainwave level, in a deeply relaxed, almost asleep place, is to enhance by a quantum degree, enormously accelerate 
that whole process, to the point that it seems rather magical. Hence the concept of magic and wizards and the law of attraction and voila, poof, a puff of smoke and your situation is realized. Some object appears, some circumstance or situation manifests, uh, some state or condition or relationship, voila, there it is, right? It's no different from anything else you do in your life except that it is done from a deeply relaxed place, the alpha brainwave place, and so it appears to be accelerated. That's the so-called secret. And that's hypnosis, and that's affirmation, and the power of suggestion, and hyper-suggestibility, and, 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 and all of that. That's, that's one way the street runs, but it's a two-way street. And so if this part makes sense to you, then just flip it around and say, well, is there value in the willpower listening to what the imagination has to say? It seems the imagination is very creative. Um, again, uh, intuitive. Um, the source of inspiration as well as imagination and intuition to inspire means to breathe into, to receive the spiritual breath. You know, inspire, conspire, expire. It's all about breathing. And uh, to, to know God's will or to attempt to discern what the universe wants you to do or the so-called higher self, we have to allow ourselves to sit in receptive states of mind. Again, to close your eyes and turn away from the distraction of physical sense and sensation so that the conscious mind now sits receptive, or the willpower, now sits receptive to the impress of the subconscious or unconscious, the imagination. All right. And this would be meditation or contemplation. Now, there are many forms of meditation and contemplation. Let's spend a minute clearing this all up. Um, the semantics here are a little bit difficult because uh, there's just so much disagreement on what is meditation, just as you can imagine the disagreement about what is hypnosis and what are altered states and what's real about reality and what is really real and what's truly truth. And that's why we have philosophy, right? To hammer this stuff out and then see what stands the test of time. So I would say meditation to me is many forms of sitting receptive in the alpha and, yes, to some extent, even the theta. You can be in the theta dreaming place, four to seven cycles, with awareness. Uh, most people never are. That feeling of falling asleep is going from alpha through theta into the deep sleep of delta. We usually fall through theta. But you can, we'll talk in a minute about how it feels to be in alpha, <coughs> excuse me, and how it feels to be in theta. But, uh, to sit receptive is in a meditation or a contemplation. 
usually implies, meditation usually implies contemplation. I'll say it that way. A, a state of receptivity where you watch your thoughts mindfully and watch your moods and emotions mindfully, that is, with awareness. You're present, you're connected, you're focused. But you are also detached. The word mindful in this witnessing or observation suggests a certain detachment where you can watch the thought without being driven by the thought. We live in a time where most people are still, the vast majority of people, are still unaware of the fact that we can say no to our thoughts and yes to other thoughts and then change your mind and say yes to different thoughts and no to other thoughts. I mean, the vast majority of humanity is driven by what it thinks and driven by what it feels. We have for the most part, yet to develop an ability to breathe, to relax, to take one step back, not to disassociate or dissociate, but take one step back to get the bigger picture, to detach but not dissociate, and see, oh, look at this thought stream of mine. See? If we use a term like thought stream, most people are in the stream. The idea that you could climb mindfully up to the bank of the stream and sit on the bank of the stream and watch the thoughts or watch the feelings stream by and never get wet, this just hasn't occurred to most people yet. And if they are exposed to it, few care to follow up on it or to do anything about it. But I tell you, life on the hill for, or on the, on the bank from a slightly elevated point of view is a very different experience and very positive, very emotionally rewarding, uh, and very spiritually rewarding as well. It, 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 you do have to take some hits. To be conscious is to experience more hurt as well as more joy. But uh, the hurt becomes transformational hurt as well. So it's always really worthwhile. So to become detached is really core to meditation and contemplation. And one could argue, and many do, that the ultimate goal of meditation as contemplation is to quiet the mind and calm the emotional nature to such a degree that there are extended periods, three seconds, five seconds, ten seconds, where there is no thought, no emotional feeling tugging at you, and yet you remain. You are still there. You are aware. This is a, a very difficult experience to explain. I've attempted to describe it as being similar to sitting on a mountain looking on the, on the shore, imagine up at Big Sur, and you're sitting on the mountain ridge line there, uh, 3,000 feet up. I've done this. It's a beautiful place. 
uh, you can walk up there in a couple hours, sit up on the on the ridge line above Big Sur and look way out to the ocean, way, way out to sea, out into the Pacific, uh, way uh, up the coastline and down the coastline, and imagine sitting up there that, like the mind, full of thoughts and feelings, there are dozens and dozens of boats, you see, and you're sitting there watching all of these boats, and little by little, there are fewer boats. Some sail out to sea, some sail up the coast and some motor off down the coast until there's just six or eight boats left and then two or three boats left and finally the last boat disappears and the horizon is empty but for ocean and sky and yet you remain you're still there this is this is the ultimate in contemplation or meditation is by watching your thoughts and feelings by detaching mindfully uh, you find out that you are not your thoughts and feelings you are much more than that you are the one that can witness them and that means you could also promote them uh, but that you are more than the product of your thinking and feeling and again this is a strange concept to many people the idea then that meditation would also include chanting um, prayer uh, use of a mantra like uh, repeating over and over again a word or a phrase to create an altered state of mind or visualization and guided imagery which we use a lot in the west um uh, especially now that we're a television and movie culture. We like movies of the mind, that the inside of your forehead is a movie screen, or that when you close your eyes and imagine three or four inches in front of your forehead, a little imaginary movie screen, and that the mind's eye, so-called, can visualize on that screen. To a contemplator, that sounds pretty busy. That doesn't sound like it's a very receptive state of mind. There's the, you're not very mindful. But the contemplator who can become and does become mindful could then use that mindfulness to create a plan or a strategy or to think about how to be more effective in the world or how to lead a more meaningful and productive life, how to find purpose and so on. So visualization, there's really a point here where these two come together, where the receptive state of meditation and the projective state, can I make up a word, projective, uh, of uh, self-hypnosis or hypnosis, um, are combined mindfully into a process that I like to call meditative hypnosis. Again, the most important part of this is realizing that it's essentially the same level of mind, a deeply relaxed brainwave level, very, very low stimulus, the alpha brainwave level, very close to sleep, but not drowsy. In fact, you're even more alert then when your eyes are open and you're, quote, awake, close quote. Uh, again, expanded awareness. 
you know, closing your, I'll say it this way, closing your eyes alone, simply closing your eyes, reduces brain activity by 86%, frees up nearly 90% of the brain to do other things, you see. So, suffice to say, the physical senses are processing that information that comes in, that stimulus that comes in through physical sense. Processing that sensation takes a lot of brain power that could be devoted instead to being more aware and perceiving or conceiving from an elevated point of view. Suffice to say, if you got if if you get nothing more from this little seminar, this webinar, uh, this mystery school class today, then the concept that meditation in all of its many forms and hypnosis, hypnotic trance, self-hypnosis, whatever you want to call it, that these are basically two forms of the same thing done in the same place, the alpha brainwave level, uh, for two similar. Um, not opposite, but more complementary reasons, all right? Um, and that we can put all of our mind power, all of our attention, when you close your eyes and breathe and relax, when you feel very, very safe, then the mind will allow itself to focus its attention on the receptivity of meditation, contemplation or the causality of the law of attraction self-hypnosis manifestation right in many ways this is also the difference between mysticism and the occult the mystic is one who is interested in more the receptive side and the occultist is more interested in the manifestation side but again they're you know it's the left hand fitting so wonderfully into the grip of the right hand. It's uh, it's uh, this complementary or uh, what's the word I want? Not sympathetic, synergistic maybe uh, relationship. And again, when you can take that step back in alpha, then you can learn to even do it for short periods in the beta level, in so-called normal consciousness with your eyes open you can be mindful enough with practice to always be that one step detached that says to every thought that comes into your mind, I can choose to agree or disagree to varying degrees. I will not be driven merely by the impulse of this thought. And the same thing with feelings. You can say, I'm watching this depression, and I'm feeling depressed, but I am not the depression. This is a mood. This is a feeling, and it will pass, like everything else. My thoughts pass. My emotions pass. This will not last, right? And that very act, of course, allows it to pass much more quickly than if you hold on to the feeling. Most people describe, again, negative feelings as holding on to them. But it's really the other way around. You're really holding on just because of the nature of 
negativity and fear and anxiety creating that kind of response, a holding on response. All right, well, time has absolutely taken wings, and we're already pushing the top of the hour here. So that's as much as I'm going to say in our uh, this class today, our little introduction to meditation and hypnosis or meditative hypnosis. Um, if you ever type meditativehypnosis.com into your browser, it'll bounce you to my website at The Ageless Wisdom. It's a class that I did as a career training, a year-long class before leaving Los Angeles, and I did four of those classes and trained about 65 people who stuck with it and graduated 160 classroom hours. And uh, most never did it for a career and knew that going in, that they were not really going to see it as a career training, although I offered it as a career training and still work with a few people who want to either make a career out of meditative hypnosis or use the skills they learned in whatever other career uh, that they're using. But a lot of the folks, probably half of the folks, took the class just because they wanted an in-depth exposure to the tools and techniques and uh, could use them in all areas of their life. And so it's in that spirit, really, that I offer you guys this information. And uh, we'll open it up now to questions and comments here. How could you use meditation and hypnosis uh, in your life more effectively. Before I turn to the comments and the questions, let me say one thing about how it feels to be in alpha. Uh, because again, most of us don't have access to expensive and sophisticated biofeedback machinery. So how are you going to know when you're there? Um, especially since I'm described as being so close to sleep, you may think that it's a very drowsy state of mind. But, in fact, it's not. Um, the primary marker for me of being in the alpha brainwave state is that without any effort, without trying, without any knowledge that this is a natural result of this level of mind, I find myself feeling less distracted. It's much easier to, quote, pay attention to something. In this way, daydreaming uh, is even a meditation, except that daydreaming is usually the result of being becoming overloaded or disinterested in what's going on in your world, so you go away and you space out and have asked afterwards well what were you daydreaming about you might not be sure if you do have a good memory of what you were daydreaming about if you're very clear if it was detailed and specific and rich and wonderful well then it's really not a daydream is it <laughs> that's really meditation with visualization or so-called guided imagery but I think the best way to know that you're in this alpha level, that you're actually meditating, is that the mind is less distracting. You go from the monkey mind, that's the way the Buddhist refers to it. Um, 
I call it ideas competing for your attention. Listen to me. No, listen to me. And, you know, no matter what you're doing, you're reading, you're thinking of something else. You're watching TV, you're thinking of something else. You're in a conversation, you're really not listening, you're thinking of somebody else. You're driving a car down the freeway, you're not thinking about driving the car, you're thinking about something else. You sit down to eat a meal that you prepared, you're not tasting the meal, you're not appreciating the bounty of life, you're thinking about something else. All right? Most of us, most of the time. But when you can, like, look out at the ocean and all the boats are gone, right? Uh, when you can get to that with practice, that quiet state, and it won't, it won't mean that the mind is silent. It's still going to generate its thoughts or attract thought forms and emotional forms. But you can be, again, out of the stream, or if we call it a train of thoughts, Get off the train, <laughs> sit in the train station or by the side of the tracks and watch the train go by. Um, my allegory of who's driving the car, same thing. Don't let your thoughts and feelings drive the car. You drive the car. Thoughts are the steering wheel. They determine your direction. Feelings are the pedals. They determine the force, the power, whether you move forward or backward, whether you go or not, right? That's the emotional nature. But most of us are riding shotgun or sitting in the back of the car allowing thoughts and feelings uh, to drive the car as if on autopilot. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and we'll talk about it more in the future, who's driving the car. So, uh that's probably the best way I can describe knowing that you're in this level of mind. And then theta, a little bit deeper, this is where you really start to lose track of your body. If you don't know in the middle of a meditation with your eyes closed whether your right hand is enfolded into your left hand in this way or in that way or whether they're just resting on your lap but really not folded together, if, if you start to lose track of your body, uh, that's a very good sign that you're moving into theta. This is a good place for pain control at the dentist and accelerated healing as well. But the simple mindfulness of the alpha brain wave level for that gentle relaxation, mental focus, to, to easily focus your attention, to concentrate. Athletes know about this as flow. Okay, or playing out of your mind. Everything is just so crisp and clear and and easily seen, and yet anything irrelevant. I can remember in sports, boy, you get so into the game that you do everything about the game, but nothing about the people in the stands, and you wouldn't hear the cheering. You'd think nothing about the past and nothing about the future. You're just focused right here, right now, intensely into the game, okay? And you might say, well, but that's physically active. You're exerting yourself. That's not really a meditation. Well, actually, it is. It is. You might not be showing a whole lot of that alpha brainwave activity, but runners talk about the runner high. It's a very similar state of mind. Okay, so you don't need a biofeedback machine. That's the good news about getting into these levels of mind. What you need to do are three basic things. Close your eyes. 
That reduces brainwave activity by 86%. Just close your eyes. If you're in a place where you want to meditate but it's uncomfortable to close your eyes, like you're at work <laughs> or in a public park or on a bus someplace, then fix your attention on a single spot and relax. Look past it. Don't focus on it with your eyes. Put your focus, soften your focus as you fix your attention. And that will drastically reduce visual stimulus. Okay, That's the first step. Whether you call it meditation or hypnosis, close your eyes or fix gently your gaze with soft focus. Secondly, two, three, four, slow, deep breaths. Very slow, deep, diaphragmatic breathing. Two, three, four times. Ah. And then let your breathing find its natural rhythm. Okay, breath. And then third, with eyes closed and breathing slowed, create and sense a letting go in the muscles of your body. Meditation, hypnosis, meditative hypnosis, contemplation, altered states, three messages. I'm closing my eyes, proving I'm not in danger. My breathing is slow and relaxed, proving I'm not in danger. And I'm letting go of muscular tension, proving I'm not in danger. Letting go of fear, letting go of stress and anxiety, and proving it to the higher self through the unconscious portal, through the imagination, with the closed eye, the slow breathing, the natural breathing that follows, and just a letting go of physical muscular tension. All meditation, all contemplation should have those elements, at least in the initial part of the process, at least during the so-called induction. Okay, That's also curious. In the hypnosis and self-hypnosis field, um, there's a lot said about the nature of the induction, about the beginning or getting to that level. Meditators almost never talk about induction. They just close their eyes and begin to meditate. And, you know, if a meditator is going to be honest with you about it, they'll admit it takes a couple of minutes or maybe a minute, uh, sometimes more, to get into this level of mind, to feel really relaxed and and to laser beam your focus and to be detached but not dissociated in a mindful way it takes a few minutes. Um, I think meditators would benefit in this regard from understanding the nature of hypnotic induction and what they can do to speed that process. Because you have to ramp down. It's not a switch. It's a dimmer. It's a <laughs> you got to little by little slide into that into that zone well uh, let's take a look at our uh, feedback today see what you folks have to say about all of this and then we'll do a visualization exercise and uh, call it a day before the 30 mark first of all in Phoenix we're hearing from Rose let me blow this up a little bit Rose Quintero in Phoenix says aloha Michael Benner what's the best way to deal with an angry and moody co-worker. Well, 
You mean short of getting another job, right? Uh, the best way is not the easiest way, but simply said, Rose, compassion. Um, make note of the fact that it's very likely that your angry and moody coworker, um, even though they may take it out on you or impact you, uh, doesn't mean this to be personal. They're probably being perceived as angry and moody by everybody that they work with. So remind yourself it's really not about you. That would be a good place to begin. This is their problem, right? And that is a stepping stone toward compassion. Oh, my God, what might it be like to be them, to have to suffer from their anger and their mood swings, you see? So it's the ultimate love your enemy stuff, right? To have compassion, to be able to love at a level uh, that carries a sympathy or an empathy for those who suffer um, is to really be free from the defensiveness that uh, this anger and mood swings in your coworker is causing in you. If somebody is angry at you and that makes you angry, that defensiveness is the problem, right? Uh, I presume from your question you're not concerned with changing them. Uh, it's coping and not taking it on personally. And if you are interested in changing them, um, even even saying that, the best thing you can do is simply to model the kind of behavior that we're talking about. Um, I could go farther with this, or a little further with this, but uh, I don't really have the opportunity. There are things that you could do if this were, let's say, not merely a co-worker, but somebody in your family or somebody that you're married to, um, to acknowledge. For example, I understand that you're angry. Uh, I understand that you're experiencing uh, depression right now or whatever mood they're going through. But you got to be careful with that stuff because often a person that's feeling defensive will redouble their defenses when you express sympathy or empathy and they get even more defensive and say, I'm not angry, you're the one that's making me angry and da-da-da-da-da-da. And, of course, responsibility for your feelings is central to all of this. So that's the that's the short answer. Take responsibility for your feelings. Know it's really, you know, part of understanding what your emotional feelings say about you is also understanding what part of your emotional feelings are not about you. Okay? So when we talk about being responsible for your emotions... It includes a discernment of what feelings are yours and what feelings are just impacting you, which you could hold on to or just drop. With a breath and letting go, say, this isn't really about me. They're being angry and moody with everybody. And then see if you can step to compassion and let it go. So... And then Rose says, uh, also, uh, what are your thoughts of two people interested in each other with a 17-year age difference? In this case, the woman is older. Um, depends on the individuals. 
I don't think there are any hard and fast rules about that. Um, often, the greater the age difference, uh, the less experience one person has, and it's harder for them to empathize or understand the older person. Um, the older person can be frustrated by that, whatever the gender of the age difference. I uh, can't generalize about that. Uh, I think all uh, all things considered, uh, the closer you are in age, the better off you are. But I don't see any taboos. Even the right wing in America is not opposed to age difference, uh, marriage, at least not yet. So <laughs> good luck with that relationship. Talk about it. The best thing these two can talk do is talk about it rather than pretend it just doesn't exist. Uh, Carol in La Habra is with us today, of course, and she says hello uh, to Michael and Doreen and aloha, Carol. Thanks for being with us. Uh, from out here in the middle of the pond, uh, just uh, down the street a bit in Honolulu, Bert is with us. He says, 39 years ago, or more than 39 years ago, I was introduced by a guide to Transcendental Meditation, TM, and was given a word to focus on to begin each meditation session. Well, Bert says, I did not meditate this way for very long, and I stopped after trying it for a few weeks. I have not tried it again in all these years since. If I started meditating this way again, does the word still serve the same purpose, and do I need a guide to reintroduce me to TM? Keep up the good work. Mahalo and aloha. Well, mahalo, uh, Bert, and aloha to you. Um, great question. Even the word transcendental, or the phrase transcendental meditation, can be a brand, a trademark, or a generic reference to the transcendent state that all meditation, properly done, provides. So, do I need a guide to reintroduce me to Transcendental Meditation? Well, if you mean the brand name, yeah, you do. But if you're talking about meditation that is transcendent, the generic, you know, uncapitalized Transcendental Meditation, uh, a teacher is always good, but it wouldn't have to be a TM guide, right? Um, and more to the point, the word is significant, but it could be any word. And often the words that uh, TM instructors give you are um, made up. What they do is they are taught to sit with you and meditate with you, allowing a sympathy, a sympathetic vibration to arise within them, which they perceive intuitively and what it forms in the mind then there's a point where they can give it voice. And it's basically they made it up. But they made it up carefully and with good intention and are trying to give you a word or coin a word or a phrase, Bert, that creates a sympathetic vibration, a harmonious, constructive vibration within your being. But other words would work just as well. I would argue that a word like love, repeating love, 
over and over, or God, if that's a word you like. A lot of people, very spiritual people, despise the word God. So that would not be a good word for you then. Um, or one, just repeating one. Uh, this is found in Dr. Herbert Benson's relaxation response. Works every bit as well as the word love or uh, uh, any other mantra that you might be given. Popular generic mantras like Om Mani Padre Hung um, or just simply Om or Aum. Uh, can be effective. But ultimately what they are are induction techniques. And I find that if you're an, uh, if if that works for you that's great. Do it. But you may get just as much benefit and only you would know. It has to ultimately be left to you as an individual and to the guide that you have inside you. Bert. You know, heaven is within, the master is within. Your guidance is within you, especially in these relaxed levels of mind. What works? What feels right? Do you, do you want to do this mantra aloud or silently or maybe nothing in the way of uh, a word or phrase, but you just use pictures? Or maybe the, the contemplation we talked about where you attempt to eliminate by looking at the spaces between your thoughts, uh, all thought, and move through the space between the thoughts into a place of no thing and no thinking. Um, there are so many different approaches to it. Just start buying books on meditation and experiment with it. But um, my feeling is no. Uh, you don't need another TM teacher to teach you TM unless you want to know only that particular brand name of meditation. All meditation is transcendent or transcendental. And in that sense, you already have the guide you're looking for. Uh, I've never been big on mantras myself. I don't really use them other than as positive suggestions or affirmations. My mantra is, take a slow, deep breath, Michael. Feel yourself letting go. Create a sense. The same descriptors, the same words I use when I guide you guys through, or or any class. Um, an internal, I do the internal narrative myself, and then some visualization. And then depending on my purpose for doing this meditation, I might sit receptive, I might visualize a desired outcome, I might do a little of both. Uh, let's see, back to Arizona in Tucson. Lorelai says, Aloha, Michael, great topic. Since I've been cutting back on my morning meditation due to a busy work schedule and have noticed my life becoming more chaotic and stressful, I'm starting today to make sure I do my morning meditation every morning and stay in control of my reality. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Thanks, Lorelai. Anytime your mind says to you, we don't have time to meditate, uh, answer back and say, in fact, we don't have time not to meditate. The amount of time that you get back from setting aside 10 minutes or 15 minutes for meditation 
would be double or triple that. You'll get an extra 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour just by being more focused for the rest of the day. You'll understand things more easily. You'll read faster. You'll see choices more readily. Um, you'll see opportunities you might have otherwise missed. You'll make fewer mistakes. You don't have time not to meditate. You're so busy, I've got to meditate. Okay? Just get it squared around in your head, and that'll make it a little easier. We're, we're, we're all resistant to meditation, however, because the ego does not want to share its power. The ego is the part that identifies with the separated self, and it's jealous of the harmonious or unified higher self, and it doesn't want to share that power. It's afraid by its very nature that you will cease to exist if you are not the separated self. So the ego, through the mind, will conjure up amazing rationalizations and reasons why you do not have time to meditate. And in fact, the higher self must answer and say, we don't have time not to. Okay. Robert in Irvine says, Aloha. If we all just take a deep breath and relax, what a wonderful world this would be. Have a magical week. Thank you, Robert. And John in Portland says, Hello, Michael. Nice show. Could you talk about or expand on the idea of making suggestions while in Alpha that can benefit you the next morning, day, and so on? I will awake in the morning, feel refreshed and clear-minded, etc. Thanks for the great show. Um, yeah, well... You just did. <laughs> Those are some great ones. Uh, the only thing I would add is uh, the rules that Steve and I describe as the four Ps. Make sure that all of your suggestions are positive, first of all. Don't start using double negatives. Like, oh, uh, I don't want to forget would be far inferior to it'll be easy to remember. So, all of your suggestions, all of your your affirmations need to be affirmative. They need to be present tense and they need to be positive. So the first P is positive. The second P is present tense. It can't be I will or um, tomorrow or... Actually, if you're programming yourself as you go to sleep, you can project it if you say I am now safe and relaxed. When I wake in the morning, I'll continue to feel safe and relaxed and then develop that a little bit, feeling fine, refreshed, and rested. But then have that feeling while you say it. Instead of, I'm sad and depressed now, but someday I'll feel better, or tomorrow maybe I'll feel better. You need to be in touch with how you feel now. So as you fall asleep, it might sound odd to suggest, but as you fall asleep, you want to feel the way you're going to feel in the morning. When I wake up, I'll be wide awake. I'll be alert and refreshed and rested. And allow yourself to make that up, to feel that, as you then let go of it and fall asleep. What I say to myself as I go to sleep is several things. I'm going to wake up at such and such a time. I look at the clock. I see what time it is. And then I tell myself, uh, in uh, the morning, I'll wake up at uh, 8.30, 7 o'clock, 6.15, whatever. Um, 
feeling fine, refreshed, rested, pop right up out of bed, looking forward to the shower and the cup of coffee. And um, the second thing that I do is I psych up for the next day. Again, looking forward to the day. Just review briefly, very briefly, what it is I'm going to do the next day and how fun that will be and how exciting and, and how rich an opportunity and what fun encounters I'll have with other people. So uh, I, I affirm waking up feeling rested and healthy and refreshed and, and psych up for the next day. Just spend a few moments thinking about what a wonderful day it's going to be when I wake up tomorrow. And then uh, I, I also suggest that I'll remember and understand my dreams or remember and understand dreams of significance when I wake up in the morning. And I give myself those three little suggestions as I fall asleep. Um, but uh, those are sort of categories of suggestion. And the very fact that you asked the question is just excellent because falling asleep and the suggestions that you do as you fall asleep, that's a meditation. And that's a wonderful time where you're going through these hyper-suggestible levels, these deep meditations on the way to, quote, falling asleep, um, where you can program the whole next day, just like you program a computer or program your coffee pot the night before to make the coffee just before you wake up. Same thing. If a coffee pot is smart enough to do that, so are you. Great questions. Each one of these I could spend a lot more time with. Uh Let's, uh, I'm going to go a little past 30, but let's uh, do a closed eye process of meditation and uh, install what we've uh, discussed today, and then I'll let you guys go. Thanks again for being with us here today. So get comfortable, pump up the pillows, and find a comfortable place to be. Close your eyes, take a slow, deep breath. Begin to create and sense a feeling of letting go. Take another slow, deep breath, pulling in strength and power as you inhale. Hold for just a moment as you peak and now as you exhale slowly. Feel the letting go in your body. And after two or three slow, deep breaths, maybe a fourth, then turn your breathing over to autopilot. Let your body breathe itself, all by itself. And you may, it might be a good idea at the beginning here to remind yourself that it always takes a couple of minutes to readjust and reorient yourself to this wonderful balance point between awake and asleep. Where you're conscious. You're not asleep, you're conscious. But the mind is so quiet, the emotional nature so calm compared to the waking state where we're so overstimulated and so anxious and stressed. In between a balance point of a still body a quiet mind and a calm heart. And you don't make it happen. You allow it to be with your eyes closed and your breathing 
natural, deeply relaxed. And during the first few minutes of any relaxation exercise, meditation or self-hypnosis, go back every few seconds to feeling in your body more deeply relaxed. Actually feel your body releasing from head to toe another layer of muscular tension going even deeper and more relaxed. A nice deepening exercise is to imagine yourself walking down the staircase and feeling more and more relaxed as you go deeper. And even saying to yourself silently in your mind as if this were your mantra. I'm going deeper and deeper down the stairs, becoming more and more relaxed, feeling safer as I go deeper and deeper, becoming more and more relaxed. Or an elevator or escalator, <laughs> just the feeling of moving down, going deep, like Alice down the rabbit hole, floating, gently drifting, deeper and more relaxed. Another wonderful induction or deepening technique is to put your attention gently on the bottom of your nose. For many tens of millions of people around the world, this is the extent of their daily meditation to sit gently and quietly with their attention fixed effortlessly on the bottom of the nose, simply watching the natural ebb and flow of the breath at the very point where it enters and leaves the body. And if you did nothing else for 10 or 15 minutes, that would suffice. But it's a wonderful induction technique for those who wish to Go even deeper and visualize. And then you may wish to use the mind's eye, as I often suggest. My personal experience is that imagination and visualization or guided imagery can be especially powerful as an induction, a deepening, and also core process. And to do so by imagining yourself deep in nature. Even now, as you're going deeper and becoming more and more relaxed. Tell yourself that by listening to my voice, whether it seems near or far away, my voice will guide you and bring you in a few minutes back to the waking state. But in addition to hearing my voice and allowing my words to guide you, you can easily hear birds singing and the wind in the tops of the trees. And the feeling you're imagining, it is exactly right. And imagine nature, whether you prefer to think of yourself as feeling the gentle warmth of direct sunlight 
or sitting in the shade, or moving deep into a heavily forested area. Feel how it feels in the sun, in the shade, or in the cool, cool forest. Hearing the birds sing, and imagining yourself sitting now, sitting down upon the earth. For two basic reasons. You sit upon the earth and feel rooted or connected to the earth to meditate, that is, to receive, and also to practice being magnetic, the law of attraction, to magnetically attract with consciousness, with awareness, the circumstances and the events, the relationships and opportunities that you discern to be in the best interest of not only you, but everyone around you, for the greatest good of all concerned. And so, let's begin this particular meditation receptively, as in a daily meditation where you relax, do the induction and the deepening, and detach yourself, climb out of the thought stream up onto the bank of the river, dry yourself off, and sit there and watch the thought stream go by. Watch your thoughts. What are you thinking about? Why? What prompts you to reach out and hold on to a thought? And what does it take for you to let go of that thought and let it pass downstream? Same thing with your emotional feelings. Simply watch them. You don't have to be depressed to watch depression in your body and the way it feels. And remember the last time you were depressed and it felt like it would never end, and yet it did, and it always does. Or whatever mood, say to yourself, this will pass. Remembering that peace and joy is not a mood, not a feeling, but the natural state when the emotional nature is calm. Peace and love and joy is a natural state, not a mood. Not part of the swing, but that which stands behind and above. The torment of the thinking mind. And the ebb and flow of the emotional nature. Rise above it. Be detached. Be mindful. Without judgment, without criticism, without analysis, simply witness your thoughts and feelings. And when you realize a desired outcome, a goal, or a solution, 
that solves a problem or heals your heart or promotes healing in the physical body of illness or injury. See that in your mind's eye. See the unfolding of that healing, little by little and bit by bit, like a time-lapse movie. Or if it's a solution or a goal, imagine already having it, jump to the outcome without any thought of how to get there. And spend some time visualizing in your mind's eye the goal or solution that you wish to manifest. As if you've already got it. Considering thoughts about how to get here as if they were distractions. And let them go and simply with your intention, with your free will, come back to already having this state, this goal, this conditioner or outcome, this solution or result, as if you've already got it. And be passionate and enthusiastic about it. Well, I don't know how I got here, but I'm already here, right here, right now. Positive and present tense, then be passionate and practice it again and again. Positive, present tense practice and passion and then when you're ready reorient yourself don't just open your eyes take a minute to remember where you are what you're going to do with the rest of your day remember how the room will look when you open your eyes the, the space around you what you'll expect just as if you're about to fall asleep and in this case about to wake up Give yourself some of those positive suggestions that John was talking about. That in a minute when I open my eyes, wide awake, wide awake and alert, I'll feel rested and refreshed, lucid and clear, connected, able to see small details and big concepts as well. Feeling fine, healthy, every day better and better. And then as it feels right for you, open your eyes, now, wide awake, alert, feeling rested and refreshed and lucid and clear and enthusiastic and positive and ready to go do the rest of your day. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. I See, I, I keep going into that script, don't I? Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. <laughs> As if I were on the radio. Thanks for being with us today for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Please make it a point to share these programs with people that you know who need to hear them. Okay, Not only the people you know who will be interested and who love this kind of stuff, but other friends, family members, and associates that you think would really benefit from hearing some of this information. And then go to theagelesswisdom.com. Click on the home page to go inside, and then click on the link Web Teleconference. It'll probably say webinars in the future. Right now it says Web Teleconference, and they're all there along with the little tool you can use to forward these to your friends. We make it so easy, we do it for you. Okay? If you send out one of these a week, my goodness, if you send out one a day, imagine the benefits and the changes that you can make in the world. And that helps us as well, so everybody wins. 
share one with a friend. And if you feel so moved, remember, as a subscriber at FocusedPassion.com, for only 99 cents a week, you can own the premium audio programs that Steve and I do. We put them on every Wednesday as a podcast, but there's also a built-in player right there on the website, FocusedPassion.com. The first six programs are free. Ask for the free trial, and there's excerpts there. There's free articles. There's This webinar is free. The first six programs in their entirety are free. And if you like what you hear, subscribe for less than $4 a month. I think you'll find that in your budget, right? Not a problem. Parking meter change. But again, by supporting what supports you, you make a difference in the world. FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED and TheAgelessWisdom.com. Remember the T-H-E. Those are the sister websites, all right? Thank you very much again, and I hope you'll join us next Sunday, uh, 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 o'clock in the East, for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, live from Maui, Hawaii. Aloha, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next Sunday. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.